Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the robotic process automation industry. When I first started looking at um, robotic process automation, I had no idea what it was. Um, someone asked me, hey, Darren, can you go research this about a year ago? And I thought it was in factories. I thought it was about robot automation. That's not what it is at all. It's not about automating your manufacturing process or even about a, a way of replacing users. It is a way of automating information workers that do redundant tasks. So I can use those um, information workers to do more valuable work. And what I found really interesting about the whole industry as a whole was it came from a set of tools that was used to do a user interface testing all the way back at the turn of the millennium. Um, and what it would do is it would watch a QA tester how they would go through a user interface, record those steps, and then play it back. And um, this technology has been around for, you know, 15, 20 years. And what's really fascinating about the whole thing is that they've reprovisioned something that's been around for a long time and found a really good use for it on automating those redundant tasks that we do over and over again so that we can eliminate errors and that we can free up people's time to do more productive things than, you know, pressing buttons on the key or, or moving a mouse around. Now, another fascinating thing is the amount of investment that's gone into uh, the robotic process automation industry. Now, I mentioned before, it came from UI frameworks, but over the last three years or so, there's been over $2 billion invested in this industry uh, with one company, UiPath, um, harboring about um, a billion dollars in funding so far on about $200 million in revenue. And then um, the top four that I found out there are UiPath, Automation Anywhere, uh, Blue Prism, and then um, Catalytic, which is an Intel Capital Invested company. Um, and all these guys have different approaches to addressing the same problem, which is how can I automate um, processes that are done manually today from the information worker? And uh, there's some really interesting approaches. We'll talk about them and kind of a little bit of the differences between um, the, um, these companies. I love the, the small scrappy startup. They can move quickly um, and their approaches are a little bit different because they're not taking technology that they've had before and uh, reprovisioning it. So there's some benefit to both sides, which will be interesting to see how this works out over time. But let's talk first about uh, the different modes of operations of what we call RPAs. You'll hear that term, robotic process automation. If you didn't know what it is, you do now. Now there's two different types of RPAs out there, very generalized. Um, one we call attended, and one unattended, and they're exactly how they sound. Attended RPAs, they handle tasks for individual employees. Employees trigger certain things. They'll maybe run a set of steps for them, and then the employee can carry on the activity afterwards. Typically, an employee 
will trigger the bot to do something. They see something they recognize. They say, hey, I know I do this all the time. Click, do these five steps across multiple applications. Um, very great tool for um, in improving performance, improving accuracy of information workers. Um, you can imagine um, most of the companies that are um, excited about RPAs are where you have a lot of information workers. We see it in financial, we see it in healthcare, um, anything where there's a lot of patient record or customer record of keeping that has to go on. Now that's the attended side. On the unattended side, um, this is where I can automate back office types of um, processes that were done manually before, but I can do it at scale. Um, they're provisioned with backend rules and they're based on um, interaction between um, processes, interaction, interactions between applications in those processes. And the bots really kind of complete any business processes without human interaction. Uh, they've been trained to do things a certain way. And they're typically on a predetermined um, schedule or they could be trigger uh, related as well. And this really frees employees from doing um, that redundant work that needs to be done, but isn't providing any additional value per se, where we can really use our information worker to provide um, additional value or higher value than what they were doing by just you know typing on a keyboard or moving a mouse around. So unattended, lights out running in the background, attended, where you're interacting with your information worker, they may be triggering it. Uh, those are the different modes. Now let's take a look at where do RPAs fit inside my data center, inside the way that I want to do things. So if I look at uh, the landscape today, today we've got a multi-hybrid cloud landscape. So I have private clouds, I have legacy infrastructure and applications. Maybe it's running on a mainframe or maybe it's running on a machine that no one knows if I turn this off, what's gonna to happen to the company. We never have any of those. And I also have things running up in the public cloud as well. Now, typically when we talk about these sorts of things, we're talking about IT and product development um, teams, right? My dev teams. We're going to have the information worker in here too. Now let's take a look as my application developers are developing new applications inside my business, right? Custom applications, or maybe they're configuring a commercial common off the shelf product, but it's configured with different screens or process flows or whatever. Now I have the information worker, the person using these tools. Let's look at the interaction between the information worker IT and this product developer guy, right? So my product development team over here, they may be releasing new products that run on my legacy applications um, in the public cloud or in the private cloud. And they're going to communicate to the information worker, hey, here's a new field that I added on this screen. Make sure you pay attention to it when uh, you're doing things. So they send out an a email Maybe they have a training session or maybe they don't tell anyone at all, which happens quite a bit sometimes where they've made a change. Maybe it's a different drop down now um, on, a, on a form that's different, added more fields, whatever it may be. 
Um, so that's your application developer. Your IT guy, what is he responsible for? Making sure everyone's happy, right? Information worker will come to him and say, hey, it's not working the way it uh, used to work or is supposed to work or my machine is down or I need better access because I'm working from home now, whatever the case may be. The IT guy, he has to manage the private cloud, the public cloud, the legacy, make sure everything's up and running. Everyone has the proper access, so on and so forth. So it's a very complex way that everything kind of works together. Now, if we kind of look at just the interaction between some of these guys, you're going to find something really interesting. Um, it's a simple mode when you have just the information worker and the IT guy. They can easily communicate, get things solved. But in the background of that going on, app developers are delivering new applications into this whole ecosystem. Um, like I said before, it could be a change in a form. It could be a change in a field in a form. It could be a new process that they've automated, whatever the case may be. When we start looking at all the changes and everything that has to happen with a new new application coming in or a new workflow and automation, we start getting more and more complex interaction between the people involved. And especially when we start adding applications that affect the information work. Just the coordination between these three groups of people, and this is a simplified version of it, can be really, really difficult. In fact, when uh, there's a, actually a, um, a great formula out there that looks at computational um, complexity when you have this type of interaction. So it's really simple. I know it looks complicated, but the numbers are astronomical. As the number of applications increase, as I develop new applications that an information worker has to use, um, the complexity increases. And as the applications are updated, every time I do an update, there's a potential to um, create a break in, um, in workflows and things like that. So if you look at this formula, it's really cool. It's the number of integration points, the number of steps in the workflow, and the number of applications. And if you add those numbers together, they go through the roof. Um, as I add more steps into my process. And you can imagine, this is where RPAs fit really well because I can automate some of that complexity out. It's handled for me. Also, if something is changed and, um, and I've got a robotic process automation bot running, I can use those bots to help test that, did I break any flows? Uh, so this is a great... Um, way of kind of controlling that complexity. So, and this is where we've got to really look at, all right, now I've got this, now I've got to do this in a secure way. So you saw all those arrows going everywhere. Now I need a common way of automating these processes and workflows in a secure manner. Now, RPAs, puts me right into that place. It gives me a common way of describing interaction between applications that um, are really from the, use, the user's perspective, the information worker's perspective.
So if I were to drop all of this into um, an architecture that we've talked about um, before on the program, which is that multi-hybrid cloud architecture, I can see where my RPAs fit in that kind of architecture. My RPA, ideally, we don't want our RPA just hard-coded to um, specific machines. We would love it to go through this hybrid orchestrator. So because a hybrid orchestrator is going to know where applications are, res are residing, it can establish secure domains for running things, both attended and, and unattended. Um, so where the RPAs fit is kind of on the top of that multi-hybrid cloud so that now I really don't care where the RPAs run, just that they're running with the applications that I'm needing in the right secure context. Now, a good way to think about it, when we've talked about multi-hybrid cloud before, a multi-hybrid cloud is really made up of three different types of tool sets that have been integrated together. And I talk about cloud management platforms as being one of those tool sets, automation frameworks, and then the third one is service catalogs and paths type of, of solutions. On the automation frameworks, we're seeing um, not just the DevOps tools where most automation frameworks have come from, but now we're seeing this big push with RPAs. So now we're talking about process automation, workflow automation, where with DevOps, we're talking about primarily provisioning of machines, provisioning of application deployments. RPAs is at that next layer above, talking about how applications interact with each other and with the information workload. But we can take some of the same concepts that we learned in DevOps and apply those to the RPA tool industry as well. Because right now, the RPA tool industry, although it's been around, uh, the underlying frameworks have been around for some time, the RPA tools are still nascent. They're still growing up. Um, and how do I um, inject those into the enterprise? So let's take a look at some of the learnings that I have, that we've had from the past. One thing that we could do with RPAs is treat them like a complex service that's running in the hybrid cloud. Now, a complex service has more than one application or more than one microservice, as people like to call them, uh, running at a time. The difference between RPA complex services is that these services are not really microservices as much as macro services. They're full-blown applications that are running. Right? But I still kind of want to treat them the same. But because in order to run a bot, I need certain applications that have been logged in as the proper user, um, and I need to be able to pass data in between those applications sometimes. Sometimes I'm grabbing a field from one application and injecting it into another application. So I need some context around that bot. Um, not just the workflows, but I need to make sure that I have all the tools installed with the proper credentials and all that going on. Um, I also need to make sure that they have the right connectivity, um, that they're in the right um, secure domain, that they can talk to each other, that ports are opened appropriately. Um, this could be a really interesting um, way of looking at it. So in this example here, I've got um, a bundle um, for my RPA bot where my bot is in there. I have maybe Excel that's running in a VDI session and I have a web app 
as well. And if I bundle these together, then I can deploy this um, bot in an unattended and even an attended uh, fashion for a worker to work on. Um, so they can say, hey, I want to deploy that bundle, that complex service, deploy it. I can now work with it. Now, one key thing that I need in order to reuse that bundle over and over again through different information workers, which is the key, that's what we want to do, I need to be able to inject at runtime any environment-centric type of things, network, ports, credentials, um, you know, any secret keys I need for credentials and passwords and things like that. I need that ability to inject those into the bundle so when it does fire up, it can be uh, fully valid validated like I need it to be. So if I bundle these RPAs up, I can now treat these RPA bots as if they're in my development pipeline, much like what we see with DevSecOps, right? I've got my development environment where I'm developing this bot that I want to reuse over and over again. I could build it, um, make sure that it's um, generalized enough so it can run in multiple environments under multiple um, users if that's what I need to do. I can run these on tests over and over again. Now, this testing is really cool because now if I have a change to an application, maybe it's a commercial application that changed. Maybe Excel bumped up its uh, 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 version and did some bug fixing. I want to make sure that none of my bots die because of that bug fix. Maybe I was exploiting a bug earlier to get work done. I need to run my bots uh, through a test environment when any of those applications change. Right. So it could be just a quick um, a quick um, run of that to make sure that things happen. Then once I get that, I can push that bundle up into a repository that now I can use for production. Now, the other cool thing about this is if the bundle's been validated because I have inside the bundle, the applications, the bot and uh, sometimes even some of the data in that bundle. That means that I'm guaranteed that when I run that bundle over and over and over again, it won't fail if I've already tested it. Even if new revisions of applications come out, that bundle doesn't have those new applications till I run through this process. So this gives me repeatability, um, consistency, um, that reliability that I'm always searching for. So let's take a look at some of the problems with RBA, uh, RPA bots. Um, a lot of times RPA bots need to run in some kind of privileged mode. Um, so there's a potential for a security um, problem there. Also, a lot of RPAs, because they came out of UI testing, are sometimes um, tied to user interfaces pretty tightly. So um, of multiple applications, so you have to uh, be careful at making your bots too prescriptive, right? Because they can be very brittle and um, they don't handle change very well when that happens. Um, also, if you don't design your bots properly, then they can't be reused for, with other processes or workflows. This is, a, this is where we're starting to see some of these new startups in the RPA industry really kind of tackle that problem, is reuse of bots and having a catalog of bots that I can tie together to get work done 
Um, so I have a set of reusable um, process processes, right? And then also sometimes we have some user interfaces that just won't allow themselves uh, to RPAs. Um, this was done way back um, to prevent automatic automatic bots from signing things up on web services and, and things like that. So there's this constant battle between hackers using RPAs to hack into things and making them uh, more difficult to um, get over. Now, um, we're starting to see these RPA uh, companies um, get really smart about um, using AI inference to find things on the screen and to make things more flexible, right? So not all uh, processes are easy to automate. Some of them have dynamic user interfaces. Some of them have different security authorization challenges. They're a lot of times tied to employee credentials. So AI can help me overcome some of those things by having things a little bit more fuzzy. I don't have to be as prescriptive. They can be self-learning and guide and uh, but guided from the uh, information worker. So now instead of having really complex programming behind it to make them flexible, I can put um, some AI training and inference on there and watch an information worker work and then make suggestions for automation um, and process optimization. So we're starting to see um, AI be used in several different areas here. It'd be interesting to watch um, how this uh, unfolds over the years. Now, another thing that I always tell people, look, I always see, and this is Darren's pers personal preference here, I see RPAs as a stopgap measure um, to uh, quickly automate some things. Because in the ideal world, what you would really love to see is um, getting rid of applications, getting rid of steps in your process, and having a more... Um, integrated solution between um, different applications. But because things can be legacy where there isn't a very well-defined API or because of time and money, an RPA can really fit in well there. But I always tell people have a plan to end of life your RPA over a certain period of time. If you don't, then what you do is you get stuck with a legacy application um, that um, you're just ingraining even more and it may be highly inefficient. And what it will also do is it will solidify your processes, which sometimes can lead to having legacy processes that aren't providing any real value to the company um, and, and to your end users. Um, so now I've locked in a legacy um, process because, oh, I have it automated um, and people... Um, because something is automated, they sometimes don't look at optimizing that process again. So I always tell people, have a plan for end of life. Um, look at replacing your RPA, RPA bots with um, an integration um, or tool or some patterns on integrating because that will work much better than an RPA, a, a real a good integration and uh, look at removing any uh, legacy applications that you have, and always, always look at optimizing your processes. So another thing that I would say, if you are using RPAs, really establish a good SecDevOps process around it, 
run those complex services, uh, run your RPAs as complex services where you're bundling everything together so it's easily um, to deploy. Um, I can run it through workflows so I have some QA. I have some reusability by putting them in production repositories that I can reuse over and over again. Um, I tend to tell people don't go with that global credential that every RPA runs under. Have the ability to inject security into those bundles so that I can authorize um, those bundles at runtime. You don't want a global uh, credential. If you can get away from doing that, that's a better way to go. Um, I would also avoid having an authorization or secure key for every type of bot that you have. It's just going to run amok. Um, just managing all those security credentials that you have. And then also remember, have a plan on what are your goals for this RPA? Is it there a temporary? Is it there for long term? Have some end of life plan for it, whether it's in three months or 10 years, whatever it is, but have a plan. Don't just say, this is going to fix everything because it won't. It will actually prolong your migration to a digital transformation. And that's what we're always looking for. So to me, RPAs are here. They're exciting. They can do a lot of really good in your organization. Make sure you're using the tool for the right things and make sure that you have a plan on how to use these tools in the future. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.